Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is great to see you guys, and uh, Merry Christmas. It's uh, Christmas season. It's wonderful to see you guys. We're going to be kicking off a new series this morning entitled Emmanuel. And for those of you who don't, are familiar with that term, I'm sure you've probably heard it at some point in your life, but it comes from a prophecy from uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, 700 years, by the way, before Jesus enters this planet as a baby human. And it's repeated in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when the angel is coming to Mary. We're going to talk about this actually in a couple of weeks. But the word means God with us. So we're going to be looking at scenarios that happened in this Christmas story where God was reassuring people, I am with you through the middle of this really difficult and challenging time of your life. Because many of you here, and myself included, we are all have gone through and are going through some really difficult, challenging times of our life. And I think it's great to be reminded that God is with us, with us all during this Christmas season and beyond, going into 2022 however much longer we have on this earth. So uh, I want us just to keep that in mind as we dive into this topic this morning. And I want to begin by asking this question because I think it may pertain to you as well. What do you do when you feel like God has forgotten about you? Like something has happened and maybe you're in a situation right now where you're like, whoa, I came the right Sunday because I have been feeling like that for like 20 months. <laughs> I've been feeling like that over the whole pandemic. I've been feeling a little bit like this with my career, with my marriage, with my kids, with my finances. I've been feeling like this about my health or about the future. Some area of your life, you, maybe you've been feeling like this and you have been praying and praying and praying that God would do something in the situation that's really hard for you. Maybe uh, for this person, it's a relationship that has really been challenging. It's been such a struggle. Maybe it's your marriage, and you've been praying, God, please do a miracle, do something, do something, and it seems like nothing's happening. And just time has been going by, and it's hard not to feel like, well, has he just missed me, or is he not listening to me? Have you ever felt like that? Back in 2002, my wife Leslie and I had a season time like that where we were at a church in a, in a season of ministry that was just challenging, it was hard. I can't, there's no other way to say it. And we were praying, God, would you open a door? Would you allow us to leave this situation? And if not, we'll stay. But I mean, year after year went by and he just said, remain faithful remain faithful. Maybe you're in a situation, a situation just like that. Today we're going to look at a, a couple of people who were facing that exact type situation in their life. It's a couple uh, that maybe you're familiar with, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now this is Elizabeth, some of you may know, the cousin of Mary, who later will be the one God allows to give birth to Jesus as he comes to earth. But Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying and praying and praying for God to do something in their life. As we're gonna see uh, as it unfolds that it was through all of this praying that God uses something totally unexpected 
He uses silence. He uses silence to address their deepest need and their greatest fear. And maybe he will challenge you to do the exact same today. I want us to take a look in Luke's gospel. This is kind of a forgotten about story in the Christmas story, but of the two of the four gospels, there's only two that cover the birth of Jesus, and that is Matthew and Luke. Mark and John are like, you can get it from Luke or Matthew. We're not going to cover that. we got other information to give you. But if you want to see the, the birth of Jesus, you got to go to Matthew or Luke. And we're going to look at Luke's gospel, starting in chapter 1. And when he begins to tell the story of how Jesus came to earth, this is the first story he tells. It's like, you need to understand this before I tell you anything about a Mary and a Joseph. You need to understand the backdrop of what's happening in Israel right now. This is really powerful and really important. And it's kind of a forgotten about story, as I said. So let's take a look at Luke's gospel, chapter one. We're gonna look at verse five. And here's how it begins. And he always gives us some historical context. He wants to make sure you know, this is not a fable. This is not a myth. This is not something that's made up. It is grounded in historical evidence and fact. This actually took place. He's really important that the gospel writers make sure that you understand, that I understand. When we read this, this, these events actually occurred and eyewitnesses corroborated these, these events. And this is what he says. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. As you may remember, Aaron was a brother, the brother of Moses, who God appointed to say, all the priests will come from you, the whole Levite clan, all of the Levites who will be the priests of my temple will all come from you. And so both of them, both, both Zechariah and Elizabeth, are coming from this priestly line. It says, both of them were righteous in terms of the way they lived. They were right before God, in sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But, and he's juxtaposing these two, these are really important things to understand. He says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So this is a really important part of the story to understand. Now, th this, this priestly division of the Judean area, these are a group of people that are, as a group, not great. As a matter of fact, later in the Gospels, you will see Jesus come out and say, you hypocrites! He doesn't do this with anybody but them, all right? He's not talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke is making a point to say, these two were really in it to win it. They were really living it out. This was not a game for them. This wasn't some religious thing they did only on the Sabbath when they went to the synagogue to church. This was something that was 24-7. They really lived out their faith. They were righteous and they were blameless before God, but at a time where people pervasively believed a kind of ingrained uh, belief and, and, and understanding of God as a society that the good people, God blesses, the bad people, God curses. And probably at the top of the list for blessings and curses are the ability to procreate, to have children. And any man and woman that could not have a child, it was automatically assumed God must know about a secret sin in your life. He's mad at you and you're incurring his wrath and his anger and he's not blessing you with a child. And Luke is turning this on its ear. 
He's going, let me just challenge the status quo of our day, that God blesses the good and he curses the bad. He makes all the people who are doing right are gonna have all of what they want and the, the bad people that make mistakes, he's gonna go, he's after them, right? He says, let me just show you, these people were blameless and righteous and they didn't have a child. And they weren't like young, they were very, he, went, he said they weren't just old, they were very old, okay? They were way, like the dream of having a family has passed them by. That, that, that movie is over, that dream is gone. They may still pray it from time to time, just sort of as a religious, perfunctory thing that they say to God, but I'm not sure their heart is really in it anymore because they're just, you know, they're past the age. They don't know anybody that has children at their age. And so they're praying, they're trusting God, and maybe you're there with a situation in your life like that too. God, where are you? What, what are you gonna do with this situation? We don't know. So as a priest, or one of the priests in the land, Zechariah, has a duty that he has to fulfill. Let's, let's read about that in verse eight. It says, once when Zechariah's division, the Abijah division, remember, was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. This is like holy rolling of dice, I kid you not. This is the way God would work and lead his people before the Holy Spirit came to earth, okay? He would use a casting of lots, and this was used by God to select who was gonna go into the um, temple according to the custom of the priesthood. It says, and to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So let me explain for just a minute. There were 24 divisions of priests across the Judean area, across the whole country at that time. And each of the divisions had roughly as many as 1,000 priests per division. So many historians would estimate there were somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 of these priests, okay? And each of the 24 divisions would, would, would be allocated two weeks out of the year that it was your responsibility, guys, to take care of all of the temple duties, okay? So he still would be one among a 1,000, roughly. And they cast these lots, and God, they believed, and this was what God told them, I will control what happens with those lots, right? And it falls to Zechariah. So this is a privilege to go into the holy place of the temple and burn incense before God in his presence. This is a kind of a privilege that would happen maybe once in a lifetime for a priest. And many priests might live their whole life and never get to do this, okay? This is a huge, huge honor. And I would say that any, even many of those who were assembled there, the worshipers who were praying outside, were well-wishers for Zechariah. Way to go, Zechariah. It's wonderful, it's incredible. Like from now on, any party that Zechariah goes to or any place where he's introduced or he's talked about, you know, in groups, they're gonna bring up, you know, Zechariah, who got to burn the incense at the temple. <laughs> like it was a huge deal. It was a big, like life-defining moment. Now let me just give you a quick model of what that temple of Herod would look like. So this outside area would be the um, sort of like the temple grounds for all of the Gentiles. And inside would be for the Jewish people. And then the very inside courtyard was just for the Levites or the priests, 
right? So he passes through the beautiful gate and through the, this next gate, and then as he's getting ready to go into the holy place to burn the incense, everybody is like, we're praying for you. We're, we're lifting this up. This is incredible. We love you, Zachariah. This is amazing. And I'm sure he's got chill bumps. He's a little nervous. And he's going into the temple. And it's like one set of doors right there. We don't know exactly what it looked like on the inside. There's a lot of different mock-ups and stuff. I kind of hesitate. Most of them are about Solomon's temple of the Old Testament. So I didn't have one to show you. But there'd be one set of doors and then another set of doors right behind them. Like long before the mall was doing that, the temple did that. All right, so... You, you, you had two sets of doors so nobody could like sneak a peek, you know, inside. You had to make sure the one door was closed before you go into the next. And then he went in there and there was this altar of incense that you were to burn incense on right before the steps that went up into the holy of holy place. And so this is what he was doing. He's walking up to the altar of incense and here's what happens next. Verse 11, we're told this. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Another translation of this Greek phrase, gripped with fear, was paralyzed with fear. Some think that that meant he literally couldn't stay standing. He had to fall down on his face. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Now, this might not seem like significant words to you and I, but this is the first time God had spoken to any human being in over 400 years during the intertestament period, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. From the time of the end of the book of the Old Testament prophet Malachi to this very moment. And isn't it beautiful that God of heaven, he chooses to speak words of comfort, compassion, and love to the fear of one man. Beautiful. And then he says to him next, he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, I'm sure Zechariah has prayed a lot of prayers, but probably the most repetitive prayer that he and Elizabeth have prayed were both for a son, for a child, and then also for the Messiah. God's deliverer, his anointed one, to come to earth and begin to set up God's kingdom here on earth. He says, God has heard, has, your, your prayer has been heard. God has heard your prayer. And I just want to say to you today, whatever your prayer is, whatever you've been pleading for God, you've been begging on the doors of heaven and asking him for, I want you to know God has heard you. And the fact that you haven't been answered yet isn't an indication that God's not listening it may be an indication of something else, and we'll get to that in just a second. And this is what the, the angel goes on to say. The angel says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. By the way, names in the Bible are powerful. They tell us something about God. They tell us something about the individual's place within the plan of God, right? So, the word John here is that the Lord is gracious to you. God is gracious to you, all right? When I see John, I think of my brother, and he wasn't always gracious to me, but this John <laughs> is different, all right? I love John. He's my, he's my buddy, all right? Um, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, 
for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. What does he mean by that? He is never to take up wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, uh, before he's born, rather. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. Now, this is so significant, all right? What Gabriel just did is he just quoted the last two verses of the Old Testament to Zechariah, a priest that would absolutely not just know these things, but have them memorized. It would be stored away like he is fulfilling what he promised over 400 years ago that he would do. Now is the time. This is the appointed time. God is about to fulfill all of this beautiful stuff in your you're seeing, you're experiencing of these things. And by the way, Zechariah, his name, the Lord has remembered. He didn't forget about you, Zechariah. He didn't forget about Elizabeth. He didn't forget about your people. He remembers you, and he is gracious to you. And he's going to use your son to be the, the, the one who will prepare the way for the one, for the Messiah who will come to earth and change everything, change human history. Isn't it true? We still mark time by his birth. It broke time in half. It is the single most significant historical event in the history of humankind. And what he said and what he did proved over and over, and people still to this day don't get it. He was the wisest, most powerful, most amazing human being who has ever lived. And John gets to prepare the way for him. And Zechariah, what did Zechariah's response to this amazing challenge and good news that this angel has given to him? Here's what he says in verse 18. It says this, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Isn't that kind of funny? Like, how, how can I know this will really happen? How do I know that God can really pull this off? I, and he's given, he said, here's why, here's why. Because, because I am an old man, right? And my wife is well along in years. I always have to snicker when I see that. He does not, he's, he's careful. He is a wise husband. He doesn't call her an old woman, does he? I'm an old man, but she's just well along in years. I mean, you know, she still looks like she's 25. Um, <laughs> looks amazing. And so he's just like, so I don't know how this works. Like, like all we understand about biology is we're beyond, like we are out of the game. We are not able to do this anymore. How in the world? Where is God going to be able to do Can he pull this off? Is he powerful enough? Is he strong enough? Is he, can, can he use people like us? Is that even possible? I love God. The angel's response. This is what he says in verse 19. It says, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. And we're going to look at that in just a second. That's very significant. His name. He says, and this is what I do. This is what I do. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. 
Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. And what does my name mean? God is my strength. You're asking me if God is strong enough. Oh my gosh, boy, if you could just get a glimpse, if you could just get a second to see what my eyes have seen when I stand in the presence of God, there is nothing he can't do. You are convinced of it. This is why we seek him. This is why we worship him. Not just that he's worthy of it, yes, but because of what it does for us. Perfect love casts out all fear. We stop being afraid of the future and the circumstances and what if and what if and what could happen and how could this turn out that's gonna be bad or scary or... God is with us. And Gabriel goes, there'll come a day, and hopefully it's sooner rather than later, that will be enough for you. That will be enough for you. Remember David in the 23rd song? He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. I don't have to be afraid anymore. You want to talk about freedom. Oh my gosh. To be able to live that way, day in and day out, what a gift he has given us. And that you can live that way, but it takes pursuing him, seeking him. And Gabriel's saying, and this is what I want for you. This is what I desire for you. I want you to be able to see this. I want you to be able to know this, that God is the great provider. It's what Paul later was able to write when he wrote this letter to the Philippian church, Philippians 4, 19, that my God will, will meet all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Whatever I need, whatever has got me scared right now, God got it. And he's gonna meet it in his way, in the way he desires. And you can know that too today. And here's what the angel responds in verse 20. I love this. And, and now you will be, let's say it together, now you will be, you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. I want you to see here, God He's not troubled by your questions, my questions. What he says that is a sin or can drive a wedge between you and him is your disbelief, your unwillingness to trust him with things that you can't understand. He is willing to say, listen, I want you to trust me anyway. I want you to trust me anyway. And I will take care of the rest. And then I want you to learn how to Trust me in the circumstances right now that have not come to pass. You see, one of the hardest answers to our prayer, God always answers our prayer. It's either yes, no, or not yet, right? Yes, no, or not yet. And I think one of the, the most frustrating and difficult ones to get out of those three are the not yet. And many times we get the not yet and we get frustrated and we say, nope. I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna do it anyway. It's not opening up right now, so I'm gonna, <clears throat> I'm just gonna manipulate and cause something to happen. Sometimes we do need to work really hard and we need to trust God and keep moving forward. There's other times where God's saying, just wait, just wait. I know you feel like you're totally in love, but it's not time yet to get married. This is not the right person. I know you feel like you need to just jump and leave your job and go jump and, and like, 
Go find that dream job, but it's not, not yet. Just wait, just wait. Where's God? He might be saying that to you right now. Just wait, just be patient through this time. You see, God taught Zechariah to remain faithful and, and silence his doubts, to remain faithful and to silence his doubts, to be willing to say, I'm gonna just wait on the Lord right here. I'm gonna let him speak. I'm gonna let him be the one that dictates and guides me through this time, even though I'm not sure how it's gonna turn out. And I want you to see that this was less of a punishment and more of a gift right here. Because there are times in our own life where we need to quiet the chatter of our soul, to silence all the noise of our circumstances that we keep talking, talking, talking about how bad it is, how bad it is. And sometimes I believe God would just say, could you just be quiet? Just be silent and seek me because there's something I want to tell you, but you won't be quiet long enough for me to tell you. And I love you, and I'm not going to come kick in the door of your life. I'm going to stand quietly. Behold, I stand at the door, and he what? He knocks. And anyone who will come over, you've got to stop what you're doing, right, to answer the front door. Stop all the stuff you're, and go over. Anyone who opened the door, I will come in, and I will have dinner with him or her. And he's going to have this beautiful communion with us if we'll just make the time for it. It's so powerful. And this is what he's teaching Zechariah, that he's teaching him, listen, I want you to be quiet. I want you to silence your doubts and step out on faith to to trust me. So what does Zechariah do next? Verse 23 tells us this. It says, and when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became, let's say it together, became pregnant. So obviously, there was some silencing of some doubts and some stepping out on faith here, right? Zachariah comes home, and he not just steps out on faith, he steps out romantically on faith, right? He had to. And this made me chuckle this week, ladies. I've read this story I don't know how many times. Those of you who are wives, I think maybe part of what was working in his favor is he stopped interrupting her, right? (laughs) He was just listening. And maybe for the first few days, she's just like, gosh, this is so nice. She had no idea he'd been struck, you know, without being able to speak. He's he's just being, "Mm, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And she, wow, this is great. He's listening to everything. It's wonderful. He just keeps nodding, so I get yeses on everything right now. This is wonderful. And so, yeah, so they do all of the things necessary for this result. And it's incredible. He steps out. He trusts God. It's it's amazing how when he finally silences his doubts, God's able to do something supernatural something that he could never understand, something that he could never control. You see, God always is wanting to move you into trusting him with things that are outside of you and I's understanding and outside of our ability to control. And if anything, we have been taught over the last 20 months of this pandemic and all of the political and racial pressures and everything else is that God is teaching us you are living in a world, I don't know if you realize it, where you can't fully understand and you certainly can't fully control what's about to happen. You must trust me. Silence teaches us that human limitations don't 
limit God. What is impossible, we'll read this in a couple of weeks when we look at Mary's story, what is impossible for humanity, for mankind, is possible with God. Don't ever forget that. So what happens? The day that John is born, in chapter one, verses 63 and 64, the day he's born, Zechariah, we're told, he writes, this is probably how he's been communicating over the last nine months, right? He's got a little chalkboard and he's, he's writing things to be able to communicate with people. He wrote, his name is John. God is gracious. If I've learned nothing over the last nine months, Zachariah is saying, is God is gracious to put up with a guy like me. Look what he's done. This is incredible. Look at this child. Look, at, look how old we are. This should not be happening. Look what God is doing. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. And what did he do? What was the first thing that came out of his mouth? And he began to speak, praising God. Praise you, God. I praise you. Thank you for what you've done. I recognize I've been quiet long enough to see clearly the reality of the world around me is defined by you, not by everybody else and all the voices and all the commentary and all the influencers on YouTube and all of the social media. No, don't, they do not define reality for you and I. God Almighty does. And we will forget that this Christmas. If we don't get quiet, I truly believe the work that God did in Zechariah's life that I think probably spilled over into um, Elizabeth's life, he's trying to do that same work in your life and in mine this Christmas season. Would you please just commit now that you're going to make time to be silent before God, be quiet, to listen to him, to open up his word, let him speak to you, that you would just be quiet and listen to what God is saying to you. Let him begin to direct your life. I, I guarantee you, you'll come out the other end of this Christmas like no other Christmas before. If you would commit to do this daily, you will hear and you'll have more clarity. I, I, I promise you'll have more peace, joy, love going into 2022 like never before. This is not complicated, just not many people are willing to do it. And, and Jesus shows us this over and over. He pulled away what the Greek word is, eremos, the lonely place, the quiet place, a desert place, the wilderness. Over and over and over, Jesus does this and sets an example. And he's like, if I am doing this to be with my Father, how much more should you make time to be with me and the Father? It's powerful. What are you waiting on today? Where in your life do you feel like God's passed me by? I don't know if he's still listening. I don't know if he's still listening. Gee, he's really hearing what I'm talking about. Do you really believe that God is in control? That he has power over your circumstances? He really is sovereign. That is a great place to start. And maybe even saying it out loud, not so much so you're trying to convince God. Obviously, he doesn't need convincing, but you do. I do. God, you're in control. I say that sometimes out loud to God to convince Will, not God. It's important for me to remember God is in control of Brad's fellowship, of the Lewis family, of me, of my future, your future. What is the future going to look like? I have no idea, but I know he does, and I'm going to trust him. And here's the other question. Are you willing to wait by faith until the appointed time? 
You see, the, the thing that makes us so frustrated in this life, that makes us so antsy and wanting to hurry up, hurry up, is because God's timeline not, has not met up to our expectations. And there are times where God's saying, I need you to surrender your expectations to me. I know it's taking longer than you think it should, but there's a reason for that. And whether you find out that reason in this life or in the next, there's a reason for that. Trust me. My ways are higher than your ways. You can trust me. I love you. I'm doing everything I'm doing out of love. I'm a loving father. I hope you remember that from our Trinity series. I'm doing this as a loving father. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.